there's three reasons in my mind why average student would not return to jiu-jitsu is one to get hurt somebody gets hurt not coming back two be embarrassed if students are embarrassed they're not coming back and three is when they are wrong if they something was pointed out that they're completely wrong they are less likely to come back Welcome to Forever White Belt, the podcast for martial art enthusiasts who are always striving to learn and improve. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda, and today we have special guest, Professor Thomas Rozinski. Thomas is a third-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and the head instructor at Roll Academy of Jiu-Jitsu in Illinois. He began his journey in 2000 under the tutelage of the late Grandmaster Carlson Gracie Sr. in Chicago. In 2014, he was promoted to first degree by Professor Eddie Rezovic and Grandmaster Carly Gracie. This led him to realize his dream of opening Royal Academy of Jiu-Jitsu in Orland Park, Illinois in 2015, where he shares his knowledge and experience with others. In recognition of his dedication and contributions to the martial arts community, he was promoted to second degree in 2018, and most recently, in 2021, he was awarded the third degree Thomas is also the host of Roll Radio Podcast, where he shares his insights on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and the Jiu-Jitsu lifestyle. We're excited to have Thomas on the show today to share his knowledge and experience with us. So sit back, relax, and join us as we explore the world of martial arts. And with that, I give you Thomas Rozinski. Thomas, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me here. Great to have this, uh, you know, it's good to have this awesome conversation with you. Roll Academy is your academy in Orland, Illinois. First of all, one one of the things I want to ask is, what is a first impression specialist? Oh, yeah. Uh, so first impression specialist essentially is, you know, we use that term. It goes back to some of the core values that we, we embedded at the academy, right? So everything, imagine that you're walking into a jiu-jitsu academy or a restaurant, right? Just Let's just take jiu-jitsu aside for a second. You walk into a restaurant, one of the very first things that you look at is the kitchen. You know, is it clean? How are, how are the cooks presenting? How, who is the chef? What are they doing? Are, do they clean the hands? Because that will determine what the final product will be, right? So in, and in jiu-jitsu, what's happening on the mat oftentimes is the very first thing that they look, but that's not who welcomes them first. Is the first person that, that they interact with, is the first smile they see, is the first hello, first handshake, first bump. And that person right there is what we call a uh, first impression specialist, is the person who will greet you, the person who will answer all your questions, the person who will show you what jiu-jitsu is, the person who will you know, help you with whatever questions you might have. And then, so it happens if you like to continue that journey then they will be the ones who will um, not only onboard you, but help you and just literally get you started with this whole thing. So I love the concept. You know, I love that, that terminology. I've never heard a position before like that, even that title like that before in that academy. And yet it's such, you know, that, that first uh, touchstone is, is such an important thing. I think in any business, as you mentioned, you know, and it's so overlooked in a lot of businesses, quite quite frankly, in small businesses, let alone jujitsu academies. Yeah, you know, it, if you look at jujitsu as a business, I, I think it's very simplistic, really. It's a service that's being provided. And if you keep a jujitsu strictly jujitsu, that's even basically simpler. There's really not much to it. As long as the quality of the product is presentable and it's easy for people to understand, friendly and safe environment, that's simple. But but that that that's only a small part of what's being sold as a service, right? A clean facility, that's one. Safe facility, on and off the mat, that's two. How is being the person being greeted and helped? You know, end of the day, Jiu-Jitsu is just the product that we are selling, but we are selling a service. And it's beyond the on-the-mat on part. It's beyond the classes, beyond the exercise. It's beyond self-defense. It's beyond the competition. It's beyond that. So, you know, some of the, you know, in recent years, a lot of academies have adopted the business side of Jiu-Jitsu academies. And that's when you start seeing the huge growth of Jiu-Jitsu that we are literally is visible every single day today. If academies continue doing what, what, what used to be done 20, 30, 40 years ago, we would not see that explosion of interest. It's simply because the product wasn't sellable 
to the point that it is today. It was appealing, but today, you know, it's not about fighting. It's about selling the product of jiu-jitsu, which, you know, a lot of academics find a lot of success. It's fascinating because you offer so many products, you know, within the academy itself, but also outside of uh, the academy as well. You're uh, sort of an entrepreneur with multiple different hats. You know, how, how do you iterate that process? And do you find that challenging? I mean, I mean, you got quite a few different, you know, irons in the fire, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur geek. You know, I, you can see my part of my library behind me. I, I, I read like insane. I, I you know, I, I love studying and educating myself. And, and, and I do come from a business background. So I think that is kind of, the one foot in that I, I've had in the beginning when I was starting the academy, when I was converting from corporate life into into the academy life or into the entrepreneur life, I think about it as I have passion for something and I want to I want to show that passion more than just on the mat, right? So by doing the, what we do on the mat, I can impact three, four hundred students by if we can expose that in a larger perspective, like having conversations like this, like having my podcast, having videos and video online library and, and working with BJJ fanatics and other guys and other projects, all that is exposing that passion and allows me to, to radiate that, that passion to, to others. And so it happens, we can impact more people then I think that's beautiful because just more people will see jujitsu and more people can train and more people can share this phenomenal thing that we both enjoy. So why not share it? I was speaking to Maliki Friedman in the last episode, and he mentioned something about investing in yourself as a coach, an academy owner, or whatever, or jujitsu individual. And I, I noticed you mentioned your podcast, uh, the Roll Radio podcast. It looks like you've invested quite a bit. You have a really nice studio. You look very professional and everything. Has this always been sort of a, it seems like this is sort of almost a trait of yours. You know, you mentioned the books behind you and, and this type of thing. You, you must have dumped a ton of money into it. And whereas some people, they might be afraid to put that much money into themselves, you know, wondering about a return or can I afford it and short term versus long term thinking. Your thoughts on that? It's hard. Like we have to acknowledge that anytime you start any project, you have to invest something to get something in return. It, it's similar to jujitsu. I look at jujitsu as a con continuous trade. I have to give you something in order to get something in return, right? And the question is, how do we conduct that trade in order for me to benefit? Because end of the day, we all trying to get better at something, whether whether it's jujitsu, business school or or life or better husband or better father whatever it is we're trying to get better at it otherwise we can't coexist as humans right so in that sense you always have to invest something now more you invest in my opinion more return you're going to get now the trick is that a lot of times and i would even say most of the times that return doesn't come immediate it'll come year three five ten years from now which unfortunately, most people will give up by then, right? So the question always in my mind is not whether I'm going to gain something. This is going to be amazing from the beginning. It, the, the question is, how is this going to be received two years from now, five years from now? You know, so like you use podcast as our example. And, and be, believe me, that, that the podcast was not, was not what it is today when we look back you know two years ago when we started it As a matter of fact this is all funny story but you know we wanted to we wanted to do a good job and i always tell even my guys my instructors my staff at the academy we just want to do a good job you know we don't care about amazing or a large amount of money or or like all that is important but i i strongly believe if you do a good job then everything else will follow everything else will fall in place and you will see more opportunities, more chances to capitalize on it, and more. This will continue growing. You know, the point is, I think not all of us have an opportunities of having deep pockets or you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to invest into things that we want. But we all can, in a very simplistic way, start something. And when we start it, it's in motion, and that's when it begins to grow, right? So there's this great phrase or a quote that a dream is just an idea until action is taken. And really, there's some, there was some truth behind that, you know? And until we do it, it's just an idea, nothing else, you know? And if we're okay with having an idea, then more power to you. That, that's fine. 
But if you want for this to grow and, and even start or be something amazing where people can see it and use it and benefit from it, then action has to be taken. And then the funny story, I don't know if you heard the story, how the podcast started, but it is a post product of, of pandemic, essentially. It, you know, we were, we, we were shut down. We couldn't train or the training was limited. There was not that many classes or no classes, you know, and uh, I called Gary and I said, hey, what do you think if we started podcast and start talking to some of the you know, people about jujitsu. He was like, yeah, let me think about it. And I was like, well, I ordered equipment and it's here. We're starting next week. And he's like, what? <laughs> it was like, boom. And it, it and just, we got it. There was no studio. We did it from our homes. And then later we converted into a studio and, and, and here we are. It's interesting because you seem so like such an interesting personality type in that. Uh, and I and I sort of empathize or understand or can relate to myself being like a first generation American and of immigrant background, you know, my, my mother was from another country or my, my parents. And um, they were very different in that they had the gumption or had the gumption to ask questions that I would say your general person in my contacts is within America here would, wouldn't ask like, uh, how'd you learn to do that? How'd you get that job? What'd you do? How much do you make? You know, th this kind of stuff that's, uh, can I, can I show up at your thing? Can I, you know, whatever, be on your podcast? And the, these type of things that a lot of people that are uh, here just are either hesitant to ask or there's some sort of ego involved, right, or whatever. And I don't mean ego in a negative way. I'm just saying, hey, it's, it's this type of thing. Whereas, like, you come across as someone who's just uh, that filter. It doesn't hinder you as much, it seems like. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I mean, <laughs> it's a thing, everybody always right? tells me I have a big mouth and I talk a lot, but... Uh, you know, my dad told me, and, and my dad is my one of my biggest superheroes. You know, and my dad told me a long time ago when I was a teen. You know, nothing will, nobody will ever do anything for you. You got to get a go get it yourself. And you know, coming to this country in in my teens, not knowing English, not knowing the language, be, being literally dumped into this you know public school system, and 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 I'm not saying that any of that is a reason why I do what I do, but. I strongly believe that we are all post-product of our actions in the past, right? Whatever we've done, good, bad, you know, amazing or terrible, this is what shapes us who we are today. And, and in some ways, I think the fact that my dad didn't put me in a bilingual program. He just dumped me in an English program without not one word of English. And he says, figure this out. It was a reason why I had to repeat classes. And, and a failure was like a daily recurrence for me. It just, it was, it is what it is. I think in some way, you know, looking in a retrospect, perhaps that developed a little bit thicker skin for me. I, I don't know. And today, you know, I don't look at failure as a, as a terrible thing. I really don't. And, and that's how I look at jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is nothing but a, a collection of failed motions that you're trying to fix. That's all it is. Nobody who steps on a mat for the very first time knows anything. So likelihood of them failing is, well, 100%, right? Unless... There is an instructor, good training partners, good team, a safe environment, good system, and they are slowly, slowly starting to understand, comprehend, and with a lot of work, they can actually achieve something, something amazing, and then look back at it and it's like, well, that was a grind, you know? And then, yeah, we smile, we leave, and we come back for more, you know? So I think that resilience is very, very important, especially in jiu-jitsu, but also in life. I, I think Denzel Washington said, you know, if you're not failing, you're not trying. In, in a very basic human way, think about it. If you're not failing, you're not trying. So if we're not trying, what, what are we doing? We're just coexisting? I don't know. In my mind, always, is we're going to do something, and it's going to be hard. We're going to fail. We're going to trip. It's going to be disaster. And yet, we're not going to give up. We're going to get back at it. We're going to continue doing it. We're going to pry, we're going to pry, 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 push, push, push. And at some point, it becomes easier. And then you see the fruits, the rewards, the satisfaction of what you've done, all the hard work. Each student at your academy, let's say, could be on a different spectrum of what you've just described, right? So you have your, your student, as you mentioned, some hardcore person that would show up, and they're going to expect failure. They're used to it, whatever, maybe former wrestler or, or whatever, you know, a comp type of person or whatever. And then you have someone else, and you, you probably can identify those people that are on the other end of that spectrum. Do you tell them what you just said, and, and how do you handle that? And it's probably different on a daily basis, right? I mean, to get them sort of to some sort of level of, hey, just show up again, just show up again. 
this is one of the biggest obstacles that ever instructor faces, whether they admit or not. But catering towards the whole group and making the whole group successful. You know, and if I think about it, that's really impossible if you think about it, because we all think differently. Let's just say you have 20 people, small class, 20 or 30 people in a class, you know, and you say do ABC. And between those 30 people, the ABC just became 30 different things. You know, some of them will get it together, but the, the odds of everybody receiving the information differently, them comprehending it in their own way, is extremely high. So I always tell my students, like, listen, you are here, you're working. Everybody else is sitting on a couch. So give yourself props in the back. You're doing something right already. Two, jujitsu is simple. It is, in my mind, jujitsu is simple, but it's complex. There's a lot going on. I, I think the difficulty in jujitsu, there's many layers. You know, there's a lot of layers. And for somebody who doesn't know much about jujitsu, they're just starting their journey and they look at 50 layers. Now things became hard. But if you take those layers, and I'm not talking about watering down jiu-jitsu. I'm talking about simplifying the concept. Let's just look at rotating. How do we rotate? You know, you can move your feet, you can move your hips, and you can move your head and shoulders. Like, there's just three different ways of rotating, right? And if, if a student can understand what to use and how to create that motion, it's like, oh, now I understand what I'm... And can I use this tomorrow? Can I use this a week from now? See, this is what simplifying jiu-jitsu means to me at least that's my interpretation of it so can we learn these un fancy instagram or flashy flying rolling things sure we can absolutely but there's a lot of complexity involved in a lot of them and are you setting yourself for success you know so i always tell my students one you're here everybody else is on the, sitting on a couch two this is complex so give yourself a pat on the back really try to understand what you're trying to do don't memorize the steps I don't remember who's, we had somebody on the show, I think it was Zanji, Zanji Ribeiro, and I, th I think that was him, and he said, you can either memorize the words in a new language, or you can learn the alphabet and create your own words, and that hit me like a brick in the head, and I was like, that's brilliant, it's like, why we teach students step A, B, C, D, E, F, G, or 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, why don't we teach them how to move, and then they can almost on their own develop this thing, now don't take me wrong, someone's going to listen to this and, and say, nobody can learn on their own, you absolutely right, There, this is where instructions comes in, right? You have to guide students with the steps, but also teaching them comp uh, teaching them um, comprehension of what is going on. Allow them to understand with the motions and balance and, and, and pivot points and so on. Now you give them tools to not only understand what is happening, but also create their own scenarios. They can connect the dots. You know, I often tell my students, connect the dots, build the Legos. You're building the castle right now. You can't build it without the bottom layer of Legos. You can't. You gotta go from top and you're from bottom and you build it up to the top, right? This is your masterpiece. That's how I present this to the students. Don't overcomplicate this. I don't know who said this, but I keep quoting, I keep quoting this in my academy. You know, jiu-jitsu is easy. People make it complicated, you know? And it, there's some truth behind that. We overthink things as humans. That's what our brains do. We, we overanalyze things. We put our own spin on this and that's great. But when we do this past the point where we need to be, now it becomes too complicated. And oftentimes, very simple motion with jiu-jitsu, it is overcomplicated by many students. And you know, that's where difficulty comes in. So I'm a big fan of simple, old school, smashing jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Roll Academy a bit more. I'm curious, what, what makes Roll Academy unique? We have a great group of you know instructors, staff, great chemistry. There's not many places where you see people coming in to the academy with a big smile on their face. They get choked, <laughs> no, smashed. They still smile. They leave and they come back for more with a smile. I mean, you know, that's like the ideal, I think, an environment where every instructor is wishing for. But, but beyond that, I think we have a great community. I, I, we have a great group of people who are really taking care of themselves, who really bond with each other, help each other with this huge passion of jiu-jitsu. I hope that Aurora Academy continues making impact on the local community and, you know, everything that we do is just, you know, introduces people to this beautiful thing. How do you maintain the uh, academy culture that you've developed? 
it always starts on the top. So the moment I always say this, you know, I always think about it that way, you know, visiting different academies and, and seeing even on, on social media or videos or whatever it is, you know, whatever you see happening on the mat starts on the top. It all starts on the top. So the way how the org chart, if you think about it, is developed, you know, who is the leader, you know, how the leader presents things, who, wh- who is, what is his character? And we all make mistakes. We all do stupid things. We, you know, nobody's perfect. But how you take care of the people who look up to you, in my opinion, that's the ultimate goal where you create an environment where creating a company or a jiu-jitsu academy where people don't even notice you and it runs by itself, that's probably an ideal place. You know, that's a place where nobody needs to be corrected. Everything corrects itself. Everything, corrections are not even needed. It's part of the ecosystem. You know, hey, listen, you just do this, do it, come out here. And that's the phenomenal part. Oh, use your first date. Let me help you out. I mean, like, that, that, that's one of the best things where, you know, I, like, I'm always first one on the mat. I always shake hands everybody. I always say hello to everybody. I try to connect with every student on the mat, you know. But there's nothing more beautiful in my mind where I see a brand new person stepping on the mat, and I'm actually not the first one getting to them. There's two or three students. Hey, is your first day? Come on, let, let me show you around. Come, take me, come here. What, what brings you here? But and the conversation already starts. Like that's phenomenal. That, I love that part because that's when you know you have a cohesive team. You know, and without giving any instructions, they're just doing things. And I see them more and more in a lot of academies all throughout the throughout the world, throughout the U.S. That's kind of going back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, that service, the customer service or the product that is being presented, you know, it's beyond the mat. It's the culture, that the chemistry within the walls and outside as well. So I see you have a Robert Drysdale coming in April. That's, that's amazing. So look, I was talking to Gary, who's a co-host on my podcast, but we were talking about this, right? The podcast complete accident. That's how we look at it. It was complete set of coincidences that just took place. And if pandemic didn't take place, it was a post-product of, of pandemic. Now, podcast takes place. We have all these great guests on it. Robert Drysdale is one of them, talking about his book and all the other stuff, right? Boom. And then literally recently, he's like, hey, listen, you know, I'll be in the area, you know. And I was like, phenomenal. Come on by. Why not? Yes, absolutely. And obviously, it doesn't help the fact that I love having guests. You know, anybody who, you know, ever reaches out, like, as long as it makes sense, let's do it. I love having guests. I love my get, my my students experiencing jujitsu from other people, you know. So that that's a phenomenal opportunity, and those don't come. I mean, Robert Drysdale. Think about it. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, that's a big deal. Just a reminder: please give us a five star review on Apple Music and Spotify, and become a VIP member for only ninety nine cents a month. Get ad free episodes at anchor.fm forward slash forever white belt forward slash subscribe. And check us out on Instagram at Forever White Belt Show. Go buy your Forever White Belt swag at teespring, T-E-E-Spring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt. Check us out on YouTube now at Forever White Belt. Finally, if you ever get to beautiful Northern California, please come roll with us at North Bay Jiu-Jitsu in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. There are amazing instructors and everyone there are great people. Mention the podcast and get two weeks free. Some time ago, a couple years ago, I read a book by Nelson Mandela and one of the things that was in his book was his father taught him, be the last one to speak. Allow others to tell their story. And I love the fact of having some of these great jujitsu personalities, you know, and connect with them. But I think what is, what ticks me the most, like what, what really drives me with that conversation with, with our podcast, with the Raw Radio, is the fact that we really try to tell the story of that person. So I think everybody knows who Robert Drysdale is. I mean, most people do who train jiu-jitsu, but not a lot of people know what took for him to travel for four years and write the book that he wrote or some of the stories they're not told in the book or how his childhood was or, you know, some of the struggles that he has experienced as a black belt when he competed. Now, some of these things, nobody knows. They are not documented. And most of the time, we are not sharing them because nobody asks questions. I think oftentimes when we look 
Ed Blackbelt, especially a well-accomplished Blackbelt who's been on the mat for decades. We see this aura around him, you know, this this status that that person has established for himself and perhaps academy or and students and other things. And then we look at the stripes and there is so many stripes on that black belt and we are like, whoa, you know. What we don't see is all the struggle, all the hard work, all the all the failures that that person had to go through in order to achieve that level. And, and oftentimes that's what we talk about on my show. That's what we really trying to drive into. And that's like a true purpose why we talk about this. We don't talk about many gold medals. We don't talk about many victories. Oftentimes we talk about how many times you failed before you got to that gold medal, you know, and that oftentimes tells a great, great story. Like recently we had a couple members of the Dirty Dozen, you know, first non-Brazil, first 12 non-Brazilian black belts in the world. You know, we had John Will who, who traveled the world with jiu-jitsu and he like he even talks about like he he gets into garage in Torrance, California. He does little jiu-jitsu and Higan Machado goes, "Hey, I'm going to Brazil this Wednesday. You want to come with me?" And he's like, "Yeah, let's go." And they go. And I'm like, "Whoa. Higan Machado tells you to go to Brazil with him did like Wednesday like a couple days later and you just say, "Yeah?" And he was like, "Yeah." And it's like, "Who does that?" Think about it. Like the magnitude of what this is as this is happening. Like stories like this, you can't make them up. I mean, like, I wish I had opportunities like this. So in some way, exposing some of these great stories is really what, what, what drives me to talk to, to talk to a lot of people. So hard left turn here. In other podcasts, I've heard you mention before stupid warm-ups. I'm so curious to you, what are stupid warm-ups and why? Which ones in particular? What are you thinking here? There's few important points behind the first five, seven, or ten minutes of the class. And it's not always about us moving or warming up. Think about it this way. In order for class to work, it needs to be cohesive system that needs to take place. Okay, and I'm going to go kind of deep on this, but hear me out here. If chaos is chaotic, everybody does whatever they want. First of all, instructor is not going to be able to teach. Two, student will not be able to receive the information. Three, everybody's going to do whatever they want. Four, somebody's going to get hurt. So creating a cohesive system, kind of resetting. You have people coming into a class with a stressful day. You had people coming into a class who perhaps had a, you know, a challenging, physically challenging day. The other students just woke up because they worked a third shift. They rolled into a class literally. They, they are half hour awake, right? So you have different dynamics that take place between different students. That warm up in my mind, does two things. One, we need to separate the world from what we're doing right now. This is kind of our sync up time. Let's kind of leave everything, leave our phones, all the dings, all the Facebook, all, all the Instagrams, all the cool stuff. Let's leave it off the mat. Let's put everything away. Bad, good, amazing, trouble, whatever it is, leave it. Let's just resync. And now let's start focusing ourselves on what we are about to do. And that's jujitsu. Because if we are all in sync, if we're all helping each other, if we all really can maximize the time that we have, then we can really be productive. And if we are productive, we feel like we are achieving something. And if we are achieving something, we are more likely to come back for more. There's three reasons, in my mind, why every student would not return to jiu-jitsu. Is one, to get hurt. Somebody gets hurt, not coming back. Two, be embarrassed. If Students are embarrassed, they're not coming back. And three is when they are wrong. If they something was pointed out that they're completely wrong, they are less likely to come back. Now, here's a trick. If you get hurt, you're not coming back. It's done. It's over. Right? That, that one is probably the most impactful. At the same time, probably the easiest to manage. Now, embarrassed and being wrong, well, we're probably going to be wrong. And we are probably going to be embarrassed right? as we make mistakes. So the question is, how is this being handled within the class? So having this, going back to these warm-ups, having the cohesive environment where everybody kind of puts everything aside and we focus on what we're about to do, that you have good training partners, good system, good instruction. Now, even though we might be wrong, it kind of fades away because we are working on it. You know, the embarrassment point kind of is going to fade away at that point because there's nothing to be embarrassed about. We all make mistakes. We are here to learn. We are here to get better. Right. So and if those three are voided, the students will come back. The, the likelihood of them coming back is extremely high at this point. Right. So, again, the warm up, in my opinion, is like the separator from the real life 
that we 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 experience outside of the academy to coming back into jiu-jitsu now and then obviously some of the warm-ups relax our body we we start using physically some of the joints and and, and we just getting ready to about to do what we are about to do and i think there are different levels of warm-ups you know a competition class is going to have a very different warm-up the fundamentals class self-defense class you know is going to have very different purpose behind it you know there are even some classes that don't need warm-ups warm-up as a warm-up per se right we we do some stretching we will do some meditation or we'll do some perhaps just mobility drills all that i will consider warm-up so the warm-up is a phrase i often use it this is the first seven five seven or ten minutes of the class to kind of focus you, narrow you in what we are about to do. Now that could vary across the levels, experiences, the purpose of the class, you know, and, and, and whatever is about to happen in there. Does that make sense? Well, one of the things I think is like, uh, you know, there's always that contingent that says, look, I'm paying for jujitsu. I want maximum jujitsu in terms of the pie, right? And so if, if that pie is a little more, you know, or less than that particular customer accepts, then there's some argument to be made there that these warmups should be jujitsu maybe related in either some sort of technique way or, or something. And there are old school people or, or even new school people, whatever you want to call it, that, are, that look at it like, ah, why are we talking about this? Who cares? You know, why this is, you, we've always done it this way. Why can't we do jumping jacks and push-ups and, you know, shrimping up and down the mat? We can play devil's advocate on this too. If you have a student who's been doing jujitsu for two weeks, they are unlikely doing shrimping very efficiently. So putting that as part of a warm-up actually might be helping them. Now, they might not see it at that point. Same thing, breakfalls or, you know, I don't know, rotation drills or balance drills. All that serves a purpose, you know? And there are plenty of people out there who will say, hey, listen, running around the room is, is counterproductive to what we should be doing, you know, other things. And I say, great, then that's what you should be doing in your class, you know? But if the class, in my mind, if the warm-up is designed with a purpose for the class, the level the class presents, it should be conducted. I guess you shouldn't skip warm-ups. And here's another thing. So what happens if the class is going, instruction begun, we are past the warm-up point, and there's a student coming in late for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. That don't mean disrespect. Better late than never, in my opinion, is not a big deal. However, they walk into the academy. Everybody, who's that? Oh, somebody came in. Distraction to the class. They go to the locker room. They make noise. They come in. They do flip flops. Tick, 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 tick. They step on the mat. Hey, what's up, man? What's up? What's up? All that creates a distraction. Now the question is, whose responsibility is that? Because that person who came in now distracted the whole class. So now the class is less productive. And it, again, I don't think it's a that big of a deal, but. If there was five people doing this on a separate times, look how many distractions we are creating throughout the class. And now the person who really wants to be productive, those are the minutes taken away from them. And this is just playing devil's advocate here. We, we all have to be cooperative as a team. And, you know, listen, red light, families, kids going to bed or whatever. Like, life happens. It's not that big of a deal. At the same time, I think that argument can be made very easily where that person coming in late just just literally created a distraction point for the whole class. Now, what if we are doing specific drilling? Let's say everybody has a pair because the drilling was designed for the amount of people on a mat. Now, one person comes in late and there's one out person now. So we have to change that, right? And again, I'm... 100% playing devil's advocate here, but these are arguments that can easily be made for why you shouldn't be, be late to the class. So it's not so black and white. I don't think so. You know, it's life. You know, we need to be flexible. We need to be fluid. At the same time, if you skip and warm ups for the purpose of skipping warm ups because you think they are stupid, I think you should think about it, whether you're doing really good to yourself and you really, how are you impacting your training partners? Because end of the day, if we conflicting each other, why, what the hell are we doing? Now that you're talking about certain things that are triggering some ideas with me is uh, training partners, even this notion of partners, and this wording and phrasing that we use oftentimes, or family. Jiu-Jitsu and Academy is a kind of odd business in that they are customers, but sometimes and oftentimes, you know, relationships are sort of established, right? And then it sort of moves on to some people become really good friends, or you see these people it becomes their second home, so to speak. Um, it evolves into this weird thing where it's like, you are the customer, and you are providing a service, but 
there's this personal sort of uh, aspect to it as well. And then sometimes you reach the point of where someone becomes blue belt and then suddenly they're gone and that instructor or the academy owner's heart is broken. How do you manage this this type of spectrum? Yeah, that's hard. I'll tell you that that's that's one of the harder things I think for most instructors, you know, like we do create these relationships, you know, and, and again, that spectrum of these feelings is really wide and depends on the, the person. And some people on one side of the spectrum, they don't care. You're my client. I don't hang out with you. You're paying as long as you're paying the bills, you can train. And then there's the opposite side of the spectrum is like we are family. We hang out all the time. You even maybe train for free or other things, you know, and like depending where you are on the spectrum, the emotional impact once the student leaves or any other, some other circumstance comes up, obviously will be larger, right? So if you care less, you probably won't care, but you don't have the community feel. If you care a lot, then obviously that impact is going to be more stabbing, if you will, right? You're going to feel it more emotionally. So that's the hard part. We do put ourselves in a very compromised positions when we train our partners. So that trust being developed over time is growing very quickly and very in a very great way. This is why I think that relationships are so strong. Second, we spend a lot of time together. Like we really do. It's not like going to the gym and lifting and talking to the guy for five minutes and then you go into the machines and you don't see the guy rest of the night. We train with the one person literally for probably an hour, then maybe an open training after that, you know, another half hour, another 60 minutes, and then you do the same thing next day. So you see the same people over and over and over, and plus you develop a lot of relationships. You know, and it's hard. I think it's hard. I think a lot of instructors do feel where everything was great when he was here. Now he leaves and I feel like that separation takes place, you know, and I can't say that it hasn't happened to me. Absolutely. There are some students that stop training and I, there is that sense of emotional impact inside. But end of the day, you can bring the horse to water. You can make them drink it. That's how I look at it. It is everybody's personal decision whether they want to train or not. Again, this goes back to that core value that I always embrace in my academy. I want to do a good job. If I do a good job and being very transparent to what my expectations are, so you have like two, these different pillars. One is the businessman client, because there is a business transaction that takes place that cannot be ignored. Two is an instructor student. And the third one is two friends. So you got these three different pillars. And as long as, in my mind at least, if those three pillars are very transparent and the expectations are very clear as to what is happening, the damage at the end, if something was to happen, is going to be much smaller. That's easier said than done, right? So we might be friends, but if the expectation is that you're paying this bill, then that's what the expectation is. Now, when I call you because you do car repairs, I'm not expecting free service from you. I will pay you whatever you ask me to pay. Matter of fact, I'm a huge fan of supporting people that you love, meaning if I could do go to a restaurant of one of my students as a server, I'll tip them more than I would tip somebody else because I know them. Like I want them to succeed. I'm not looking for a free meal. In my mind, it's the opposite. But not everybody shares that idea. I think the mistakes often happen when we are like, there's these assumed boundaries and they are being crossed. And then it's like, well, I thought, well, why would you think that? Well, but, but I thought, and th I think that's when the misunderstandings start I think this is where the hard feelings begin. This is where I invested a lot of blah, 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 blah. I gave you blah, blah, blah. You know, this is where trouble begins. So this is, I think, one of the harder things a lot of instructors face, unfortunately, because of the relationships that we that we create. At the same time, being transparent about it is, I think, it's, it's part of establishing a successful route for this to work out. And then if they are your instructors, if they are your staff, then obviously you need to compensate them. You need to pay their staff. They, they, this is their job. You know, I'm not a big fan of free labor. Nobody wants to for, work for free. I love your analogy of the individual who goes to the gym, let's say like a YMCA or a 24-hour fitness or something like that. And you could be going for years and not know the person next for you, even though you've seen them for years, you know, because you can put those headphones on or you'd be distracted by your phone and you just never even interact really in any meaningful type of way. Whereas you just say, we can't, we can't have headphones on while we're in class or looking at our phones all the time on the mat. So there's no, there's no separation there. Yeah, it's very different purpose, right? Very different environment. And neither one is right or wrong. Like, don't take me that way. But it's it's very different purposefully, right? Same thing like 
you know, you have swimmers. They will make hundreds of laps and somebody could be swimming right next to them. That doesn't mean they don't know each other, but they don't talk. That interaction is very individual versus for us, that doesn't exist. We have to interact. Matter of fact, in order for us to be successful, we have to continuously changing people, continuously changing our training partners. Otherwise, we get into habits, we learn their routines, and now we are not progressing. We're not being challenged, right? So you're going to work very differently with 120-pound female versus very, you know, the, your responses are going to be completely different if you have, you know, 250-pound wrestler, right? The, the, these are two very different environments, both of them very challenging, but for different reasons. Let's talk about learning in terms of the iteration of learning and the way of teaching, actually, as well, throughout the history, to some degree, of jujitsu, And that early on, it was just obviously that one academy teacher, depending where you're at, and that's it. There's no sharing from another academies. And then we got to, like, magazines and sort of books where you would learn, you know, some stuff. And then VHS tapes, maybe. And then we got to the DVDs. And now we're at streaming and all these different things. And now we even have online coaching, which is very interesting as well, that whole paradigm and videoing and video study services online now, uh, remote coaching, remote strength and uh, PT. It seems like it's obvious that it's added to the, to the hockey stick in terms of performance and how early practitioners can get better so much quicker and so much younger. And who knows what's going to happen with AI and its application, right, to uh, jujitsu. So uh, your thoughts on, on just that whole topic? I think all of this is not even jujitsu related. I think this is all education. I mean, just look two years ago, all kids went home, nobody left their house, and education was taking place remotely via Zoom or whatever platform that school was providing. Right, wrong, disagree, dis agree, disagree, it doesn't matter. The point, this happened. By not being in person, we are using the human touch, we are using the social interaction, I get all this. But when you look at education itself, you no longer need to be in a classroom, right? And this is what we are seeing in Jiu-Jitsu. Now, the interesting part about jiu-jitsu is that we need to be touching each other, right? Jiu-jitsu is all about counter-reacting body to body. So I don't think we'll ever separate each other. However, I foresee at some point we're going to have AI or, you know, some kind of hologram things going on at the academies. And we would be naive if that would not, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that, that there is an opportunity, you know, maybe 100 years from now where instructor can teach in multiple different academies at the same time. But as far as education, this is all part of the evolution, right? So we are noticing that, one, we're getting smarter about learning things, right? So it's no longer step A, B, C, D. Now it's more of a comprehension driven. Plus, on the top of this, you don't have to be only at the academy in order for you to maximize your success. What I mean by this, I think being physically involved in jiu-jitsu is extremely important. If you're not training on a mat, even with the dummy, it doesn't matter. You need to be on the mat in order for you to succeed. However, if you're only on the mat, not doing anything else, people will get better faster than you are because they are watching videos. They are listening to podcasts. I had this very interesting conversation with one of my students very recently who brought up the point that they start listening to just variety of different jiu-jitsu podcasts and how that changed their mind about training. So that just tells you that just by listening to somebody else talking about it, now you're changing the habits, you're looking at different things, your education curve changes, your perspective changes. As a result of it, you're getting better. This is the hard part because you will hear many students probably even listening to this. They're going to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. I show up every single day. I grind it and I'm getting better. Great. What if you watch the video of what is about to be shown in the class before the class? So let's just say instructor is going to teach an arm lock. You watch that video before the class. Now you already know what's going to be shown. You don't know the details. You don't know the mechanics yet, but you already know what's coming, which means when the instructor shows you that for very first time, you're not looking at what the hell is he doing? You're looking at, wait a minute, I know what's going to happen. Now, let me work on these little things. And look, instead of being in a class three or four times to understand this, maybe it takes you now two. This is what I mean. We have all these tools which we can maximize the success for average student. And now, 
You're bringing up personal training. You're bringing up remote coaching, performance coaching, and other things, you know, video anal- analysis. All of this allows students to get better. Now, there's also the other flip side of positive outlook on this. This also gives the instructors jobs that normally didn't exist. Like, we have to acknowledge that part, too. Like, some of these guys who do a lot of the remote coaching or even the video, analyze the competition videos and all that, this is their way of making money. This is guys who have a lot of passion for jiu-jitsu. Perhaps they don't have the academy. Maybe they are in school or do other things. This is their way of actually capitalizing on their skill. And why wouldn't we embrace that? I think it's great. It's amazing. As long as the service is good, as long as the quality of the product is good, and if you're willing to invest into from that perspective, why not? I mean, look, BJJ Fanatics, I think, revamped, literally, forklift changed how video instructionals are done. Completely changed the world. What if we can take that to the next step? Not only you're watching instructionals, but now you're getting a feedback from the instructor who you watched. Now that changes everything. Is it good? I think it's phenomenal. Now, quality the product, that's the key, right? So I think everybody should really look at that. Is this for me? Is this person going to give me what I'm investing into this? And if so, go for it, I say. I think this is all making us better and creating more opportunities for jiu-jitsu to grow. Think about this. We had Kid Pelegra, Hickson's Black Belt, and he said, up to a couple years ago, if you wanted to train or learn from Hickson, you had to pay several hundreds of dollars, nearly $1,000 an hour, to get a private with him. Seminars he hasn't done in years. Private is the only thing that he teaches. Okay, who can afford this? Nobody. Now, if you go on, I don't know what his website is, but Hickson, Gracie, whatever. Now, for the first time in decades, you can learn from Hickson. That's phenomenal. Now, some will say, I don't want to learn this. That's fine. But for those who do want to learn and do want to interact with one of the pioneers of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, here's an opportunity. And I think that the ability to choose and that really what gives us or embraces the fact that we can be very selective what we do and we really can continue growing with this. Like I remember when I was a white belt training with Carlson Gracie Sr. He published a book, instructional book, and I bought it. I was like candy kid in the candy store. Oh my God, Carlson, there's a book, a book. He signed it for me, the whole thing. And like I, I cherish it to this day. I have it in my library and you know, a beautiful thing. Today it's like book. Who's going to read a book? You know, I want videos. I want to message them. I want to DM them on IG, you know, like the things have changed, you know, but I think that's good. That is testimonial to the growth of the sport. Do you think this puts like a pressure and emphasis, maybe pressure is not the right word, on the academy owners to offer more? For instance, I know you have Roll TV or something like that, like these type of whatever they may be type of solutions for their clients, you know, their their jujiteros. I look at this as, as from a little bit more of a business perspective, you know, so more you offer, more opportunities your students will have. Not, not everybody has time, capital investment and effort to do some of the extra projects, right? And that's fine, too. I think what's really important to always keep it in mind without judgment is that different academies service different demographics. So you will have a very small academy with 50 students who's servicing a very high competition-driven young individuals. And that's great because these guys need to train somewhere. And then a couple miles down the road, you will have an academy that has 500 students, but they are all self-defense-driven and perhaps average demographic age is 45. But listen, these guys have to train somewhere too. And it's not that one is wrong and the other one is doing better or this one is not doing good or this one is offering things this one is doesn't the point is that they are servicing different groups and you know providing good service is key there are some phenomenal instructors out there who do not have academy they don't have academy they teach online or they live off of their instructionals online but they don't have an academy so by being judgmental about this and pointing a finger and like oh they don't do that they don't do that who are we the judge if that business owner that instructor that coach this is what he wants then more power to him he's sticking to what he wants to do he's successful at it let him be you know you already know i'm, I'm ocd I, I i have 75 projects on my plates and my to-do list is 
seven, you know, 170 tasks every single day, but it is what it is. You know, it's, I love it. I love being involved. I love building the team who everybody has something to do and we can create employment opportunities. We can create people getting more involved and that just creates more cohesive environment in that team, in that community. That's not for everybody. And that's fine too. That's, that's wonderful for your, you know, your customers, your students to get just that increased value. I think that's wonderful. So one of the things I want to talk to you about was just a sort of economic times here and reflections were at the, the time of this recording, we're seeing like certain banks go under interest rates. We, we don't need to get into the deep of the finances and stuff, but let's talk about its implications into like academy owners, jujitsu. What kind of adjustments can academy owners make, students start thinking about in terms of these sort of uh, challenges that these headwinds that they're facing? Your thoughts on the challenges of the economy and its relation to uh, jujitsu? End of the day, jujitsu academy is a business, you know, and in my mind, it should be run as one. Now, we do have this bleeding over thought of family and community and cohesiveness and bonding as a team, right? And that's what makes it a little bit complex, you know, while we're talking about this. But end of the day, when we get to the bottom of the pile, Jiu-Jitsu Academy is a business. That instructor, maybe perhaps if they're staff associated, they have kids, they have families, they get paid by their business. So if that business goes under, all these people get impacted by it, more, less, but there's an impact. So we have to always be very cautious and very aware of that situation. That business making money and generating revenue is very important to the people who lean on it. Now, you know, what do we do in situations like economy dips down and there's a job loss and banks go out of business, pandemic take place, which is completely out of our control. This is, I think, where the entrepreneur brains and ideas really come along. I think... If you look at, um, I recently listened to an interview with Jack Willing, and, and, and he co-owns the Origin company that makes geese. I'm sure you're familiar with it. And, and he was saying, you know, it was an interesting interview because somebody asked him, like, what happened during pandemic? You're not selling any geese. Nobody's training. And he goes like, the moment that happened, we made the decisions. We are making masks. The whole production, whole production changed to making masks. And it was not about the geese. It's not about jujitsu. It's about that company surviving in order to provide the service so they can continue paying the people that they they, they rely on. It. They they lean on their paycheck. They lean. This is part of their livelihood, right? So in a, in a, in a some sense, you know, in jujitsu, that's a very important part really to acknowledge as a jujitsu academy owner or maybe as an instructor, however you are involved in, in, in these dynamics. It is a business at the end. It has to generate revenues. Now, people go through hard times. And I think this is where this community and team and family, this cohesiveness, cohesiveness comes in, where, you know, in hard times like pandemic, if you say, nope, I don't care, everybody's paying, this is where you're going to start losing people because people go through hard times. And being understanding all of the, of, of the situation and helping people is very important, you know, and again, transparency is the key. So I always think about it as jujitsu is a want, not a need. We don't need jujitsu in our lives. We want jujitsu in our lives. Jujitsu is not the most important thing in our life. It shouldn't be. Your, your family should be number one. Whatever career you have should be number two. Jiu-Jitsu is somewhere there, three, four, maybe five, somewhere in that. You know, but it's definitely not top. You know, and that is really important to remember. So when we have a student in need, we try to help them. And there are opportunities. I think in a lot of academies, there's plenty of opportunities. Next few months, this is going to be hard. I got laid off, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I talk to other academy owners and I'm telling you, opportunities exist. Come and clean the mats end of the day. Let the instructor leave. 15, 20 minutes, he can leave. He's going to be happy. If that gives you free membership, why wouldn't you do it? Now, not everybody wants to do that, and that's fine. What about, hey, listen, there's an office job. We need more people in the office. Come in twice a week. Just come in. Answer phone calls. Greet people. Bring a smile to somebody's face. How about if we trade this free membership, maybe you even get compensated for it. In my academy, we are huge on assistance with coaching. So we have our core staff, we have our head instructors, we have our assistant instructors. But then once you get your blue belt, you can actually help out in classes, especially with kids. When you have 30, 40, 50 kids on the mat, you can help out. Extra body makes huge difference. There it is. We can help each other right now. Oftentimes, 
Unfortunately, there is this expectation where I don't want to do anything, but yet I want something in return. And I think that's the hard part. This is where I think a lot of academies struggle with. And keeping that at balance is very important. We want to help you. We're we here to help you. But at the same time, we need help too. So how can we work together? But pivoting to, to the pandemic topic, because you brought that up as a, as a source of, the, of, of this question, was you know, one of the things that we did in my academy is the moment, the moment this whole thing started, you know, we announced to all of our students, if you want to cancel an account today, cancel it. We will not hold it against you. We are not going to, in any shape or form, resist this. And then we'll say, it's up to you. However, keep in mind, if everybody cancels, we're not going to have a place to train when this boils over. It, it, it was done after, well, we thought it was going to be done two weeks, but it wasn't done in two weeks. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It, that was that clear communication that we sent out to our members is, listen, now we are leaning on you. You want to cancel, nobody will judge you or stop you in any shape or form. But if you do want to support, we promise you, we will pay this back in some capacity and we will appreciate this because we all want to have this place. And we did have people cancel, we did. And we never held it against them. A lot of them came back after a pandemic, but we also had a lot of people who did remain members without any classes taking place. Matter of fact, we had few members, which was mind blowing to me. We had few members coming up to us and say, listen, I'm doing okay. My job is okay. If somebody needs a membership, I will pay for them. We had few donations in that sense, which was mind I never expected that from anybody. And yet we had several of those. But see, this is the cohesiveness of the community and of the team where you can lean on the honesty, transparency, and everybody working together, you know? And at the same time, like, you know, we were right off the bat. I was like, what are we going to do? We can't provide a service. What are we going to do? We increased production on our video library. We produced I mean, thousands of videos, all of it was uploaded. That's all we did all day long. We just filmed post-production film, upload post, like, constantly. And then podcast, we start talking to people and, and creating relationships and generating some of the revenues from other angles in order for the academy to coexist and stay alive because that's all it was. You got to stay alive because at some point this will end. And when it ends, you can get back and continue growing. I'm a newly minted black belt from Roll Academy. I'm coming to you. I want to talk about opening an academy. What is the etiquette to me doing so in your idea? And this could yeah. just apply to Enroll. That's just your philosophy in general, because this can be a, I, I didn't realize this can be like a touchy subject. In, in my opinion, that conversation starts way, way earlier. So like, I know as we stand right now, who has a desire to open an academy, who doesn't. Some of them are at the purple belt level, like the seed is planted in their head. They, they have that desire. That doesn't mean they will, but I know that that's where they are mentally. See, I, I embrace open communication with all my instructors, especially like we talk all the time about various topics. We have official meetings and we have kind of candid and casual meetings, one-on-ones and so on. So I know who has what desires and so on. I try not to be in a position where he got a black belt and now what? Mm, crickets. Okay. Shoot. You know, he wants to come. He wants to talk to me about something. What, what is he going to talk to me about? What, uh, is he leaving? Is he going to train somewhere else? Is he opening academy? Oh, he's going to open an academy across the street from me. So, like, I, I avoid all of this from the very beginning. You know, I, I embrace everybody doing what they love. Now, obviously, there are some boundaries. If we spend a decade training together, and you would go across the street literally and open an academy, obviously that would have a big impact on me. Us being strategic about situations like this, I think is important, but that starts way earlier. If I know you have that desire, especially when you're brown or black belt, somewhere in that area, and we say, hey, listen, let's start thinking about this. No, first of all, nobody opens academy overnight. That process is few months to a year, depending on you know several different variables that would be taking place, but just finding a place takes months. So this is none of this is a surprise. This shouldn't be a surprise. You know, if you find yourself in a spot, it's like, oh my God, my black belt academy, he didn't tell me about this. In my opinion, somebody dropped the ball on talking. That's how I look at it, right? Now, if one of my students wants to open a business that was going to make them successful and they and I give them the tools to make it successful, 
that means I'm winning too. If they got black belt from me, they represent, even if they have their own brand, but they are somehow connected to me, his success is, is my success. And if this is structured correctly, then there is actually a, a business opportunity. There's not many people who can say, listen, I'm going to drop whatever, 50 or $100,000 and I'm going to open an academy, I'm gonna find a location, do all of this. No, not, not everybody has that kind of capital to invest into a brand new business. Most of the time, there are some of these helpers needed. Besides, if you've never done it, how are you gonna know what to do? This is where I think the instructors come in. Listen, you wanna open an academy? Let's start looking at locations. This is what it would look like. Do you know how to run business? No, let me pull you on the back. Why don't you spend one day every week in the office? Talk to my general manager. Let me see what his responsibilities are. Who's gonna do this at your academy? Let me introduce you to a couple, you know, first impression specialists. What conversations are they having with the clients? How are they onboarding people? How, what the sign up process is? How are you selling the product? Do you have a curriculum? You don't, you don't want to have one, that's fine. How are you gonna run the class? What schedule are you going to have? Is this going to conflict? How many, how many kids classes are you going to have? What time is that going to be? There's so many variables behind all of this, that if one wants to be successful, they have to be one acknowledged, but two also actually thought through. And if so it happens that you have somebody who's done this before, then things become much, 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 much easier. End of the day, nobody wants to a business, open a business that's gonna fail. We wanna be successful. So in my mind, again, this all starts much earlier than that. And these conversations take place, you know, on probably a very casual level early on and then you know as the desire increases they get more serious but again even if you need a loan you need to write up a business plan no bank is going to give you a loan without business plan i mean you need you need some tangible things you know and believe it or not most people don't know how to write a business plan so it's it's that business experience is very very important so if i can help you doing that more power to you your success is my success that's how i look at it so Thomas, how did you learn to tie your belt? <laughs> you know, you know, I, I don't know because videos didn't exist. <laughs> I legit don't know. I do remember getting yelled at by Carson Gracie Sr. few times that I tie my belt incorrectly. And, you know, I don't know if you ever had privilege meeting Carson Sr., but his English was, you know, very basic, you know, 20 words at the best, and a lot of hand gestures were involved in every conversation, very passionate and loud person, you know, but I do recall being a white belt, you know, well, 20 plus years ago at this point, but I do remember, you know, whoa, belt, 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 rah, 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 and, and, you know, I, I remember again getting yelled at him and there's this factor of intimidation and it's like, oh my God, what's going on, you know, and and, and all that. But um, yeah, I honestly, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I tie it old school. I know there's a lot of fancy ways these days. Some students come to me and ask me, it's like, is this correct? And I was like, I, man, there's like seven knots right there. Like, I have no idea how you go in and out and all the other things. Looks beautiful, man. Hopefully you can make some money on this from a model perspective, man. I was like, but I'm old school. I, I tie it, boom, and ties a few times throughout the class. Life is good. I tie it back in. Old school. So, Thomas, I'm curious about the name Roll, R-O-L, I've noticed. How'd you guys come up with this? When we are opening an academy, from the very beginning, I said, it needs to be something that is easy to remember, creates a phrase, and it's nowhere anywhere else. And we were like, well, that's impossible. <laughs> so, we created a small group of people, you know, the core group that is eight years ago at this point. You know, we were like, while we're looking for the place, for the facility, we had to come up with names. So everybody kept throwing things into the text, you know, group text, and we were coming. And it was hundreds of different things. And somehow we always keep coming back to rolling. But we couldn't do roll, like R-O-L-L. -L, you know, I think there's actually academy like that already. So we were like, well, that cannot, like, we cannot be the same. Like, that, that's stupid. Every time, no matter what the name or the branding we were creating, somehow we kept coming back to rolling. So, you know, the, the other person who was, who was involved in the, all of this, you know, he, he started Googling stuff and, and searching and all the other stuff. So he found that R-O-L with a little dash over the O comes from a, like a old English and that's rolling on the down the hill 
So it's unique. Nobody else has it. And then later somebody says like, let's go to Raw. And I was like, oh, this sticks. This is going to stick. So to this point, nobody calls it Roll a Kid because everybody said, I'm going to Roll. And at the same time, you know, as you see it right now, we have Roll TV, we have the Roll Radio, we have everything is kind of created around that branding. It's well received. If you could mention like some of your media that you're creating uh, so much, I, we talked about Roll TV a little bit or didn't, and uh, your YouTube, your BJJ Fanatics offerings, you have five instructionals on there, I counted, over 40 stuff, uh, sit-up guard stuff, butterfly hook stuff, uh, back take stuff, and a smashing instructional, and, and I'm sure I'm missing some other stuff. Can you uh, inform the listeners on what, what kind of stuff like that you have? Yeah, sure. So one, you know, I'm very engaged with questions. So if if any of your listeners would love to message me for whatever reason and chat or questions i'm very involved i respond to everything myself uh, instagram is the best way it seems like there's so many um social connection platforms these days but instagram is my primary one so find me on there if you type in roz it comes up there's only one guy with so many z's so it's easy to find me um you know so that's one to you know my podcast the podcast you know it, it, it we, we have great stories we have great stories over nearly 150 guests at this point we've been doing this for a couple of years so check out the Roll radio um you know our website theroadradio.com very simple uh find us out there we are all out there um as far as the instructionals yeah bjj fanatics is probably the um there's five of them out there there's one more coming out so there's gonna be six total um uh so one of them is coming out in a near few weeks uh, so look out for that. There are six of them out there at this point. And then, you know, again, if you want more content from me, look at um, uh, RollAcademy.tv. So or just simply search Roll TV, R-O-L-T-V, and it will come up. It's my our personal online platform. And it's not only instructionals as far as techniques, but also seminars that we've had at my academy. So you recently mentioned um, Robert Drysdale, you know, he will, we are going to film that event. It will be online. There's tons of uh, different individuals, including Lavaro Sr. And, 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 and plenty others. Felipe Costa, a multi-time world champion, was recently at our academy. All that is filmed, all that is available on the platform. So come on by and, and you know, take advantage of it. Well, Professor, thank you so much for your time. It, was, it truly was an honor. I look forward to having some future conversations with you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. A great conversation. I loved it. All right. Thanks, everyone.